Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back to our series called Steadfast, subtitle, Finding Hope in Anxiety. Uh, just to recap a bit where we are in the series, the first week we spent our time bringing it into the light. This is where we defined what we're talking about exactly when we talk about anxiety. We said it's our body's response to a threat. And so this is one of God's provisions for us, and it's an alarm system built in us. But the problem is when we use it too often, it, yields, it wreaks havoc on our bodies and our emotions. And so we're trying to identify the things that are threatening us so that hopefully we can um, have less of the things that are threatening us and only let it be healthy alarm system, not unhealthy. Then last week, uh, Chantel shared a lot of her story, and it was awesome. So thankful for her. Uh, I, uh, the, the part that really stood out to me was she shared all the things about if, if anxiety is a threat, the threat of an unsafe relationship and what that does to your life when it's not someone you can trust and, and when you've been wounded by others. Um, but I loved how at the end, Chantel, you said, um, you know, but you, you don't have to stay there. And that was, that was so powerful to see someone who's lived through what you've lived through and then to, to proclaim to all of us, like, if you're there, you don't have to stay there. And that's speaking hope. And that's, what, that's part of the goal of this series, that we're going to find hope in anxiety. And so today, I want to talk to you guys about something I've been on a journey, personally, in regards to a threat. I know threat sounds really aggressive, but we'll get to that in a second. But this, this topic we're talking about tonight really has come... Uh, to, to the forefront of my attention since I got married up until today. Um, when I met Christina, I was in my junior year of college. Christina's a couple years older than me, and so she, uh, yeah, woo, that's worth cheering. It's <laughs> worth cheering about, yay me. <laughs> um, and and she, was in, she was doing graduate work when I was still finishing my undergrad, and so I met her, we started dating, and when we were, like my junior year of college, my senior year, we had a, a small group of friends where we just, we just clicked and we were able to hang out. My senior year of college was probably my favorite because of that, because I was dating Christina. We were engaged my senior year. Um, we went on fall break together, spring break together, all that. And we had this group of friends where it was just like we saw each other basically like, I don't know, it probably was every other day in some way. And we were really, really tight. Then I graduate and we get married the week after I graduate. And then we moved to Chicago where I took my first job. Now, when we moved to Chicago, we had all this expectation and, and excitement of just like, you feel like your whole life they're preparing you for like, now go live, like go be an adult and live. And that's when, for me, it was happening. It was like, okay, I finished undergrad. I am an adult. I am married. Like, here we go. Life is supposed to start now. And, um, and honestly, a lot of you guys in this room have experienced that, that you, you took a job in the Springs and you're like moving here for that job. And it's like, all right, now life is supposed to start somewhere around now. Or even if you grew up here, you're still in the years where it's kind of like, all right, go, like go become what you're supposed to become. And so I had a lot of expectation moving to Chicago. I was like, all right, here we go. So we show up just like gung-ho excited, ready to build community and like set our roots down. And then like, a few months go by, and I'm like, oh, there's not, like, a ton, like, not a lot of people are inviting us to things, and so it's just like, okay, what am I supposed to do? So then we, we start inviting ourselves to things, or we start trying to make connections, and then, um, and the people there were just so great. Like, it wasn't that people were rude to us or anything. We started building friendships like it normally does. It takes time, but then I remember talking to Christina two years in and being like, it's been two years, and I still don't feel like I have a close friend. 
And then we started talking about, like, well, maybe it's because of this, maybe because of that. And then <laughs> add three more years to that. So five years after we had moved there, I had the conversation again with Christina, like, I, I am so excited to be married to you. I am so excited to be doing this job. I am so excited to be part of this church. And yet something is missing. Something was missing still after five years of trying to like get connected. And as that radical shift, ha- shift happened in my life from college to now in my career, um, there was something missing. And what was missing was close, meaningful relationships for me. Close, not friends. I think a lot of people have friends, but I'm talking about the friends who really, really know you and who can speak into your life, who are there when you need them. Like, that's what was missing in my life. And so we started making some decisions and be like, we're going to change this, we're going to change that. And ultimately, what we changed is if we want to have close friendship, we need to be close friends. And we started focusing on what can I do to be a close friend to someone else. And then it didn't work with everyone, but eventually I ended up clicking with uh, certain people. And now, you know, years later, I can say I do have a couple close friends from that chapter of my life in Chicago. And, um, but I remember the frustration of letting time pass and not feeling like that was changing. And that was really, really hard for me. And I started blaming my personality because I've shared with you guys before, I'm introverted. So I don't naturally come into a room and start connecting with people. It's more like a one-on-one thing with me. So that just slows down the process of meeting people, which in my mind, I'm like, oh, that slows down my ability to make close friends. And so what I'm talking about here tonight has nothing to do with your personality. Okay, let's start. Let me be very clear. It doesn't matter if you're introverted, extroverted. It doesn't matter what Enneagram number you are, like all that. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about universal principles. And so let's start with these two universal principles. Everyone in this room has this in common. First, we all need this. We all need to know and be known by God. Every single person in this room, you need to know God. Um, The way the scripture talks about it is in this really beautiful poetic way where the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God wrote eternity on our hearts. What that's saying is inside of the way God made you is a a knowledge of there must be something more out there. Eternity, something transcendent, and that is God drawing you to himself, that that's inside of every one of us. But you want to know God, but you also need to be known by God. And the only way that you can be known by God is through Jesus Christ, through the work that he did himself. He's the mediator between God and man. It's Jesus, right? So you want to know God, but then you want to be known by God. That's inside of every one of us. But the second thing on that list is just as much built into your humanity as the first one. We all need to know and we need to be known by others, by people. This is not something optional. This is something that God already built into you. And so if anxiety is our response to threat, then the threat I'm talking about here tonight is the threat of loneliness. The threat of loneliness. And I'm sharing with you how I experienced my... I was trying not to be lonely, and yet I was so frustrated because I still felt lonely. So many things going good in my life, and this was the one area that wasn't. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the threat of loneliness. But first, let me just pray, and let's ask God to guide this. Father, we are, um, we're here asking that you would speak. We're asking that um, what gets said tonight would help us to find um, a better perspective in regards to our relationships with each other. Um, we, we believe that you built this into us, and so thank you, God, that you can be known. Thank you that we can be known by you, and thank you for the way you built us. And so, Lord, I'm praying that today would be a, a hopeful message for someone.
who's maybe been frustrated like I've been frustrated in this topic in regards to loneliness. And I just pray that you would pour out your grace right now, God, that they would sense your presence, that they would sense your kindness over them here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, when I call a message the threat of loneliness, some of you might be like, that's a little aggressive. Like, it's, it's like loneliness isn't like a threat. Um, but I am about to make a case that it is. And it might be activating the alarm system inside of you if you were like me, living for years. And the longer I lived within loneliness, the more <laughs> intense it got. So the more I felt threatened by it, the more the anxiety started to flow in me. Um, and uh, I, I, it's very clear that all the, the leaders in psychology, the scientists, what they're calling the current generation in regards to loneliness, they're, the words they're using is that we live in an epidemic of loneliness. And so it's an aggressive title because it actually is a, a pretty severe thing that's going on. And it's, it's going on with you guys in a way that it hasn't gone on with your parents, in the way that it hasn't happened to your grandparents. This is a really, really important issue that we need to talk about in the church. Um, the PLOS Medicine Journal published a study, and they found that a lack of close relationships, again, not just knowing people, a lack of feeling like you have deep, meaningful relationships that are friends, if you don't have that, the doctors, the medicine people have said that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day has the same effect on your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, that's bad, by the way, just in case you didn't know. Um, it's the equivalent to being an alcoholic. It's also more harmful. This, this blows my mind. It's more harmful than not exercising. So obviously, if you, if you don't exercise at all, there's effects that that has on your body, and it's not healthy for you. You need to move. We need to walk. Like We're made to, to, to experience activity in our bodies. And when you don't do that, it's actually more harmful if you don't have meaningful relationships. Um, and it's twice as harmful as obesity. These, these, these are doctors saying this. Okay, This isn't someone trying to convince you about a point. This is doctors who are you know, leaders. Someone also said this, for, who was, like I think, the director of a Harvard Medical School, like in a lecture saying, this is the issue of the day. Because when loneliness takes root in a human it wreaks havoc in all areas of their life. And it's just as dangerous as any of those diseases we talk about. There is a connection between your loneliness and your physical well-being. And because we're living in the epidemic of loneliness, one of the things that's happening is if we can't have healthy relationships, like let's say you even want that, I want to have healthy relationships, but if you can't have it, what we will do as humans is we'll settle for unhealthy relationships instead of no relationship at all. Because we, that's like not an option. You can't talk to anyone who is like, I love the idea of never seeing another human. That's not human, right? They're not in their right mind if they're saying that. It's in us that we need to be known and we need to be known by other, other people. This is in us. And, um, and, and so we're going to settle for unhealthy relationships instead of having no relationships at all. Now, when I talk about loneliness, there's two layers I want to bring up. The first layer of loneliness is the absence of the presence of others. This is what we naturally think. I think of the word isolation when, when I think of this layer of, of loneliness. It's when you're just not around people enough. Uh, this is the one that makes the most sense, but can I just bring up to you, it is so different what we've lived through in regards to being with other people than what it was 100, 200, 300 years ago, and really for all of human history. We are the loneliest generation that's ever lived 
because of the shifts that have happened in society. So let me just make it by, uh, I'll just use one thing as an example to make my point. The way you grew up in a family is different, substantially different, than the way people used to grow up in families. So it used to be, for all of history, up until the modern era in the last you know, few hundred years, that a family, when they would raise children, they would all live in the same space. So you would, you would be born, they'd raise you, and then you'd grow up, and all the way through, like, until you left, like, you're still sleeping in one bedroom with your parents. And then also the, the, the expectation of sharing work with your family and sharing food with your family was, like, that was 95-plus percent of the time as a child. So what that does is you grew up with people. Now, in the modern era, things started to shift, and people started dreaming different kinds of dreams, and they start building these homes, and parents started saying... I want to have a room for each of my children, and I want to put them inside a separate space, and I want each of them to have their own computer, and I want each of them to have their own Xbox, and I want each of them. So what it creates is an opportunity for the first time, really, if you look at the big picture of history, human history, for the first time where a child can keep themselves busy completely alone for an extended amount of time. And, and I mean like days, weeks, where they barely... And so what happens is they don't develop the skills of what it means to need other people to be known. They don't even know what that means because they spend all that time alone. Then they sit down at the dinner table and they haven't developed that and so they have no interest in the parents. And, so there's, and the parents have no interest in the child. And so there's no conversations at the table. Yeah, they sit together, but nothing's happening. There's no relationship growing. So now multiply that every generation since where technology continues to advance, our ability to travel and leave communities and move across the world, all that's happened. Add all that up. And this layer of loneliness is what we live in. The, we, we have the absence of presence from others as something that's acceptable. It's, it's like okay in some of our minds if it depends on how you were brought up. Now there's another layer t- to being lonely and that's feeling unknown even in the presence of others. You might be physically present. You could sit down in this room every single Tuesday night and feel like, well, I'm starting to meet people, but you might still feel lonely. Okay? You, you can be here present, but still feel lonely. That's what I was experiencing my first five years in Chicago. It's, I, I knew people, I had relationships, but I didn't feel known the way I needed to feel known. And that's, those are the two layers we're addressing. And the the solution to this loneliness, it, it needs to be a long-term plan. It needs to be deep and meaningful. And that's why, like, we, you know, we launched Crew two weeks ago, and I'm so excited for all of you guys who have signed up. And the solution to loneliness can't be just Crew, but Crew can be the beginning of the solution. So, I, you know, everyone, if you're expecting, like, this is going to solve it for me, well, it might, it might help you find some people that you can have deep, meaningful relationships with. But my, my point is, if we can't even hang out with each other, how in the world are we supposed to find deep, meaningful relationships? If there's not, and so, and, and let me make my point. Here's, here's um, three requirements of all healthy friendships. Three requirements of all healthy friendships, thanks to the work of Shasta Nelson. Um, she did a lot of research and compiled this, and so I'm giving credit to her because this is not my idea. This is from her. Um, and, the, and she found out that all healthy friendships have three things. Now, they have to have all three. If they have two, it doesn't work. You have to have all three functioning for it to be a healthy friendship. Um, so the first, the first of those is positivity. If you want to have a healthy friendship, you need to have positivity. What that means is when we interact with people, 
we're going to hang out more with the people who it's a positive interaction with versus it's a negative interaction with, okay? And what the research has shown is you need a ratio of five to one in regards to your interactions for it to be a friendship. So that means if you, got, if you and I hang out every day for the next five days or six days, five of those days, I need to walk away being like, that was awesome. And then if one of those days I was like, that was weird, that's okay, because I w- <laughs> it's one negative interaction for five positive interactions. We all need this. We need to hang out and be like, I left feeling happy. I smiled. I laughed. Like, these are basic human needs. That's why positivity is the first thing you need to have. So, just, just food for thought. If it's in your nature that when you interact with people, you want to share heavy, weighty things consistently that might be affecting your ability to make friends. Even if they're real things that do burden you, you're upsetting the balance of people don't want to interact with people consistently who are Eeyores, who are bringing them down, who are like, the world is coming, you know, and, and there are rough things going on, guys, like, it's okay, but you just, you, we need to be people who love one another and encourage one another, I'm getting ahead, I'm getting towards a solution, but that's just, that's the first thing, all right? All right, so that's positivity. Second thing you need to have if you want a f- healthy relationship, a healthy friendship is consistency. Now, consistency is the reason why it was so much easier to make friends as a child. Why? What did we have as children? We had school. (laughs) As school, that is consistency. And because you see the same group of class, your class is a group of people you're going to interact with daily for, you know, eight or nine months out of the year. That's a lot of time. Many, many hours. That consistency is the ground for friendship to grow. And if out of those people you're interacting with, you're having positive interactions with certain ones, those are going to easily become your friends. That's how it happens as a child. Now, what happens when you get thrown into the real world? And it's like, some of us, like, college gave you some consistency. uh, But if you were online, it didn't. If you you didn't really connect with the people you were living with during that season, you didn't get that. But some of us do get it during college. Some of us don't. Or maybe you didn't go to college. You went straight to your career. So you get kind of thrown into something that's completely different than what you were in. And no one's telling you the reason it's missing is because you don't have consistency with anyone. You, you interact with tons of people, but there's no consistency. And the third thing you're going to need if you want to have a healthy relationship is vulnerability. Vulnerability is a necessity for a healthy relationship. Now, vulnerability is a necessity, but it needs to be shared in a measured way, in an intentional way that's based off trust. Because there are some of us who are more of an open book than others. That's just based off our personality. I, I actually am quick to share. It's part of my personality. I'm like, I'll be quick to share. And so one of the things you have to learn about vulnerability is you base it off the trust. So let the, let the consistency give you the space to gain the trust in order to get vulnerable with that person. You don't just start with like vulnerability again. Because sometimes your vulnerability, you share it, and the person leaves thinking that was a negative interaction. I don't want to do that. And so there's this cycle that happens between all these three things. And I hope it's starting to click for you guys. Yeah, I want all those three things. I want to feel like there's someone who, when I interact, I leave, I leave and I was like, that's positive. And I, if it's positive, I want to hang out with them more. And if I hang out with them more, trust starts to grow. And then I can be vulnerable with them. And once you're vulnerable, if you have all three of those things, that's when you feel known. And if you, if you feel like, I don't really know what that's like, that's what it's like. Those three things in your life, in a friendship. That's what it's like to feel known. And because those are the three needed things, 
Look at what the last two years has done to us as a generation. Positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Positivity was rocked in the last two years. You guys are living in a different, in an age that things have been very different for you than they have been for anyone else in this regard that we got thrown into a, a, a pandemic and at the same time, a ton of stuff was going on. Political stuff was going on. Racial injustice was going on. Like all these different things going on all the same year. So think about those three things. Positivity, five to one ratio. Guess what happened with my friendships? As we started disagreeing, my positivity started going more towards negativity. There were people I loved and who I felt close to that now every time we talk, it's like we're always talking about what we disagree about. And then like you, you had fun and then suddenly the fun interactions turn into like someone mentioned something about politics or Trump this or whatever. And then it's like over here, this racial injustice. And it's like, well, I disagree about that. No, I agree with this and the solution. I mean, for goodness sakes, even church, like going to church during COVID was a thing that like was a negative interaction. I had friends who greatly disagreed with me. I was like, I was more on the side of like, there needs to be some way we can gather. And there were other people who were like, no, like absolutely not. So there was just disagreement and that made ne negative interactions. And it was all triggered by the circumstances. So then we have negative interactions more than positive, then consistency is thrown out the window. You're not allowed to be in the same room with someone anymore. How are you going to have a consistent relationship if you're not even allowed to see each other anymore? So we're all sitting in our homes with no consistency, negative interactions. So then we start guarding ourselves. We're not sharing anything. Our thing, our, the things we should be sharing in vulnerability. Why? Because we don't trust those relationships we once trusted. This has happened in the last two years. And what it has led to is an epidemic of loneliness. We have to accept that this is what you guys are living in. If we can't name it, then how in the world are we going to start moving forward? And the things that scientists and psychologists are articulating with their articles and their studies, those things that they're saying, really, they've all, they've all existed in God's plan before any of this came to be. God had this in his design, and there, there are two things that we need to do if we're going to respond to being in this age of loneliness. The two things that the scripture puts out towards us um, of how to respond, the first thing we have to do is we have to accept God's design for humanity. You have to accept what he did. If you disagree with the way God made it, you're never going to make progress on this topic. If you've convinced yourself that deep, meaningful relationships in your life is optional, then you have no chance of developing the things you need to move forward and to overcome this threat of loneliness. We have to start by accepting that it's inside our design. So let me um, let me make my theological argument going back to the book of Genesis, two verses, first in chapter one, verse 27, um, you find this, it says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, you guys have to remember, in, in Hebrew, there's no exclamation points, so when you don't have exclamation points, what do you do? You repeat. This is how you, when you write something in Hebrew, you have to say it multiple times, slightly different ways, so that you can say it louder. So what is he saying louder? In the, in the Genesis 1 account, there, things aren't repeated, and then we get to this verse, and it's like, whoa, I would argue that's a three-peat. Like, that is the same thing in, with slightly new information three times. God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. That's what he's doing. He's just increasing the volume. He really wants us to hear something. What? That God created mankind, men and women, all together. We are made in the image of God. And that is what he's saying is your reflection of parts of me. 
And inside of humanity, there's a reflection of God. And what do we know about God? We know that God is a God who exists in relationship. This is what the word Trinity means, if you've ever heard that. It's a tri-unity. God is three persons. God is one, but he's three persons. He's showing us that he exists in relationship. And so by him giving us his image, we are a reflection of that, making the point that we are beings that were created to exist in relationship. That's the way he made us, as we're image bearers of him. That's why when God is, uh, is creating the world, you might see some of the times he says, let us do this, instead of let, let me. <laughs> let us. Why? Does God have, is God schizophrenic? Like, does he have multiple personalities? No. He is, a, he is tri-unity. He's three persons in one. And uh, the second verse that's the biblical foundation for this principle, that it's inside of God's design, is Genesis 2.18. You, you've probably heard this verse before. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, we've, we've talked about this before. Don't get tripped up on helper suitable. That's not God saying, I need a Robin for a Batman. He's like, <laughs> he's saying, I need a Batman for a Batman. We need two Batmans, and I only have one. That's what he's saying. I'm looking for the equivalent, the corresponding person to the man. That's what he's saying. And... Um, and now this, this phrase, for many, many years, I thought when, it was, when God says it's not good for a man to be alone, my ears heard that God was saying it's not good for Eddie to be single. <laughs> and y'all laugh, but you've thought it too. Um, have you ever been to a wedding? What do they say at the wedding? They say, here they are, they're getting married. And why? Because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. So now we have this woman and they're going to be married. And so is it God saying that it's bad to be single? Well, no, the answer is no. Why do we know that? Because look at the whole picture. We spent a whole week last summer on the topic of singleness. And we talked about how Paul says the exact opposite of it's bad. He says it's a gift. Paul's straight up saying, he's like, I love being single. Everybody should be single. Like there's so many benefits to being single. That's Paul in the New Testament. And that's why we know God's not saying it's bad to be single. So then what is he saying? This is the first time in the creation account where God says it's not good. Everything else, good, 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 awesome, good. See guys, see that out there? Good, that's good. Then he gets to man and he's like, not good that you're alone. I need to make someone else because it's not good that you're alone. So what is it exactly that God is saying? Well, I believe he's saying two things, and it's very clear in the way the story pans out. The first thing he's saying is that he is going to create Eve, and then he's going to show us what his plan for marriage is. And so it's, it's not good that man doesn't have a corresponding part. So there was no one he could marry before Eve. Then Eve comes, and then we see the pattern of what God establishes. So Adam, man, Eve, woman, they can leave their families, they can become one flesh, and what God brings together, no man can separate. So that, he's modeling what marriage is. But there's a second thing that God is saying inside of creation. The second thing is he wants to show us, he creates Eve to show us that none of us are made to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for me to be alone. And the reason these two things are connected is because if you want people to not be alone... He needed to make a man and a woman so that they can get married, they can have children, so that there's now people. And without procreation, there's no community. 
those things, that's why they go together. God says, here's the model for marriage, but I'm also saying it's bad for him to be alone, and now I'm creating the opportunity. That's why he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, do the whole thing, like have many children, they're going to have children, so that this can exist, what we have today exists because God created Eve. Now, if you've, again, I ask questions all the time. You, you know this about me. I ask questions, I'm like, well, why, did, why didn't God just make both at the same time? Have you ever thought that? Why make Adam first and then Eve? Why not just make both of them at the same time? I think the reason for him making Adam first and then Eve was to make the point I just expressed. He's showing us the model of man needs woman in order to be married and no one was made to be alone. By him doing it in a sequence, it makes his point, which is it's not good that they're alone and it's good that now there's possible community through the procreation of people. So we have to accept that this is God's design for humanity. And the second thing we have to do is we have to embrace God's provision in the church. God's provision, God's answer is in the church. And this might be an unpopular answer because many of us, we think we're not going to find the answer here. We're going to find it wherever we find it. But I'm here to tell you, we have to embrace that the provision to our loneliness is found in the church. I believe this with all my heart. In the New Testament, we are given all this instruction on how we're supposed to treat one another. They're called the one another's of the New Testament. You can look them up sometime. And in the one another's, a one to another is specifically from one believer in Jesus Christ to another believer in Jesus Christ. These aren't commands just saying just do this for the whole world in every single way. No, they're instructions. Why? Because God's teaching us that he has provided the answer to our loneliness here in the church. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul tells the church to do good to all people. And then he adds this phrase where he says, especially those of the household of the faith. That phrase has always stood out to me. Like since the first time I heard that verse, I'm like, especially to the Christians, especially to the church. Why? Again, God is providing something in us, for us as the church, that's different than what we're doing in the world. In the world, we're bringing the good of Jesus. He said, be good to all men. That's part of our mission. And we bring the good news of Jesus, sharing the good news as part of the armor of God, the good news, the shoes of the gospel. That means we go and we share the good news of Jesus. That's part of everything in our calling. But he says, especially to those of the household of faith, bringing attention to the provision that comes in the church. So close, meaningful relationships are meant to be found inside the church. So in that passage, Galatians chapter 6, the first two verses, before it gets to that phrase of especially those who are in the household of faith, he, he presents this concept, which is the concept of restoration. Galatians 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Here it is. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill this very unique phrase that Paul uses, the law of Christ. The law of Christ. You're, you're fulfilling the desires of Jesus himself if you carry one another's burdens. And what Paul is describing here is kind of a different way of saying the same thing I'm saying. Deep, meaningful relationships are what you see right there on the screen. Because if someone's found in sin and you restore them gently, who's going to do that? Like, if, if I was found in sin, I wouldn't just go up to someone who I don't know and say, would you restore me? The only option I have to have someone help me restore 
my path, my life has to be someone who cares about me, who knows me, who can walk alongside of me, who can speak positivity over me, who can walk with me consistently so that I can be restored, and who can be vulnerable with me so that there's grace that is shared amongst us instead of me just being the ultimate failure. The only path to restoration is deep, meaningful relationships. And the words that Paul uses to describe it isn't even friends. The words that he uses is brothers and sisters. It's his way of saying the next level after friendship is brothers and sisters. And this is what we're called in the New Testament. We are brothers and sisters. That's the level at which we're supposed to find the provision of God inside the church. And we need friendships so close that when we fail, and we all will, you need friendships that will lean in, not out. It, especially like with the idea of cancel culture, where it's just like, if you see something you disagree with, just get rid of it. And people are doing friendships now. It's if you, if, if you cross this line, I'm out on you. Forget about that. And what we all need, because we all are going to fail in some way, we need friendships where they lean in and they speak truth. And they call out what needs to be called out, but they love us enough to stick around. And they love us enough to say, I'll be with you this whole time. We all need those kinds of friends. Let me just show you uh, something about the three things I mentioned earlier as we bring this to a close. The three things I mentioned that are necessities are positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. This is what the world of psychology is like, you know, sharing. You'll see it in TED Talks. You'll see it in books. Like, this is everywhere now. But think about those three things and think about the teaching inside of Scripture. What are we told to do? We're told to love one another. That means I'm going to put your needs in front of mine. I'm going to choose to bless you. That's a positive interaction. Encouragement. We talked about this a, a few weeks ago. What it means to encourage is the person leaves feeling like they have the courage to keep going. So when we encourage one another, it's another positive interaction. This is what he's teaching us. And then consistency we see it all throughout scripture. If you study the Psalms and the calls to worship that were given when we're told to worship, did you know that almost all the time we're told to worship God together? That doesn't mean you can't worship God when you're alone in your, in your quiet time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the call is to do it together. And by calling us to worship together, what one of the byproducts is, is consistency. We gather, so if we're going to worship God, we're going to do that together. And so the people of Israel, they did that in the tabernacle, then they do it in the temple. And then the church, they're like, yeah, we don't like not meeting. So we're going to meet. It's going to be part of our culture that we meet. And it's not, if you don't come, then you're dead to us. It's just, it's saying you're going to miss out on the consistency, the ground where these relationships can grow if you're not consistent. All the studies show that today, people are much less interested in coming to church every week. So let me, let me just let you in on a little bit of a statistic. Most people come to church occasionally. So this, if we had everyone who's a part of New Life Church show up on a Sunday, we probably wouldn't fit in the room. The reason why it doesn't fill up is because most people come two times a month. So that's 50% of the time. And, um, and that's just, that's a shift. Back in the 90s, when I grew up in church, like that was not the case. Like most people were like, yeah, if either you do go to church or you don't. Um, it wasn't like, a, 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 I like, I like both. I like kind of going to church. And again, there's like legalistic teaching where it's like, well, if you don't, then this happens and then you're not worth, a, worth anything to us. And all that stuff is, is not, it's not biblical. But what I'm saying is the desire to have consistent interactions with God's people is a healthy thing for us. 
And so if we reject the, the idea of like, I'm not really committed, I'm just going to go when I can, you're missing out on the ground, that might be the solution to the problem. It might be the way that you're going to find those consistent relationships. And then we're told about vulnerability by psychology, and God all along, he said, confess your sins one to another. The, the deepest level of disclosure is when you, can when you can confess a sin to a brother or a sister. Now, notice God always says, confess your sin one to another. He doesn't say, get up here, let's put a microphone and everyone start sharing. He's saying, this exists in trusted relationships. And that is vulnerability. And I love that verse because he says, when you confess, it's not that God, it's not that they forgive you for the sin. God's the one who has to forgive us for our sins. But the passage, God's word says that if you do that, then you will be healed. Why are you healed by confessing it one to another? Because your heart will get to experiencing the healing of the Holy Spirit. When I confess to someone else I trust and they express the love of God back to me and they encourage me, my heart heals. I realize I failed. I realize I'm the one who fell short, but they bring the love of God into the situation. And this is God's provision for us and it's only found in the church. If you guys start sharing those things with people in the workplace who don't know Jesus, what are they going to do with that? They're just going to, I don't know, I'm, I do way worse things. They're going to try to convince you that it's like, you're, actually, it's not that big a deal. And God's over here saying, no, that's why you can't have that with those people. What can light have anything to do with darkness? You have to have these friendships here. You have to accept that God has designed us in this way. And then you have to embrace that you're going to find it in the church. So I will keep saying this every year here at Young Adults. I will keep proclaiming this in the wilderness because it's not a popular message. Most people want to preach to you in such a way that they're trying to convince you you can find everything outside of the church. And that's just not the way the New Testament talks about it. There are certain things you will only find inside of the church. And the answer to our epidemic of loneliness is found in the church. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to encourage you guys in that direction. So all the things we're trying to build here, the community, crew, all the things we're going to do serving together as we continue to grow this ministry, all of it is because we believe that the provision of God is found inside the church. One last thought before I close. The number one area, when, when I talk to people about young adults and like pastors occasionally call me and they're like, hey, you're the young adults pastor. Can you like tell me like what's going on with young adults? They're trying to understand our generation. And uh, the, the, the topic I always end up surrounding is, is the reality. And this is what I believe. This isn't me like, again, showing you a statistic. This is just Pastor Eddie. What he has seen to be true is that the number one area that people are taken away from their faith happens while they're young adults because of the people they surround themselves with. No one really gave us a heads up after we left high school what it was going to be like when you want to do the right thing, you want to follow Jesus, and you surround yourself with the wrong people, and it affects you. And the wisdom of the scripture is already spoken to this. You should all memorize Proverbs 13, 20 when it says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. It doesn't even say that the companion of fools becomes a fool. It says that if you choose to be a companion with fools, you're the one who suffers. It's not God's best for you. Who you choose to surround yourself with will determine a lot of the pain that you will forego as a human. And most people don't intentionally want to hang out with fools, right? Think about that verse. It's like the person who's companion with fool. None of us in this room most likely are like, that person's a fool. I want to hang out with them. 
right? Like, that's not in us. It's not like, oh, that person's destroying their life. Let's spend more time together. That's not in us. Okay, so if that's true, then why is it happening? It's because we would rather have unhealthy relationships than no relationships at all. And the tactic of the enemy is he's trying to say, loneliness is my way to make sure you go to the fool. And you hang out with people you wouldn't normally hang out with. Why? Because you're desperately trying to solve something. And so you're going to run after anyone who will hang out with you. And here God way, God's way is better. It's for your good. And it takes time, but if you stick to it, you will find the good and the joy. God will get glory for it, and your life will be changed forever as you set and put to rest the threat of loneliness. So tonight, as, as I close, I just want you to pick one of those three topics we talked about, positivity, consistency, and um, vulnerability. And let's just pray about that. Father, I think about those three topics, and I think about the ways that I have not been that to people who I wanted to be close to. I feel like there are times where I've failed in all three in certain relationships, God. But let tonight be a night of grace. Maybe that what your grace to us tonight is, is that you're saying, here's, here's another, another day, another chance. And so just like you are in that posture of prayer, just do a little work with God and see if there's anything he wants to say to you about those three categories. Maybe he's saying you, you bring too much negativity into the world and, and you need to bless, you need to love, you need to encourage, you need to help, you need to speak life. Or maybe you haven't given God a space where there's consistent interactions with other Christians and so there's no space for those relationships to grow. Maybe God's saying, hey, why don't you just change that? Do it this way or, or show up this way and be consistent and commit to it. Or maybe there are relationships that have those two things, but you, because you've been hurt in the past, you're wondering, should I be vulnerable? That's not an answer I'm going to give you. I'm going to let God answer that. Is that a trusted relationship where you should be vulnerable? If the answer is yes, maybe you can ask God for the strength to, be, to take a step in that direction. So, Father, we commit these things to you, and we leave ourselves in your hands, God. We are not strong enough to do this. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. So now we ask for the presence of your Spirit to guide us. May it be that Today is the day where some things start to change so that those who've experienced the loneliness I've experienced might find the better way, the Jesus way. So Spirit, come. Pour yourself out afresh on this group here today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.